If you've got a Bible, um, you might want to start uh, turning, flicking, clicking, scrolling, whatever you do these days, uh, to Nehemiah 3. Uh, We'll be reading the whole chapter, and you'll understand what I mean by it's a long, long chapter. Uh, And it'll be like um, I've ripped a page out of the Jerusalem phone book and suddenly started reading it to you. Um, Some of you might might think, why on earth have you put this in? Um, why on earth are we reading this? But don't blame me. God puts it here in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All, what do we understand by all? All of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful teach for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God, as lot, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So turn to Nehemiah 3. Um, If you're a visitor with us today, you're very welcome. My name is Raj. I'm one of the elders uh, here at Jubilee. Great to have you join us this morning. I can see a few visitors dotted around. Come to Alpha tonight. Whether you're a Christian or not, you'll meet lots of uh, fun people. So do join us if you can. We've just started our new sermon series looking at um, a book in the Bible um, 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 and a man of the same name called Nehemiah. Why are we doing this? We've given some brief introductions over the weeks. Well, mainly, I think we're looking at this book for two reasons. Firstly, we want to get the heart of God rattling our heart. Break my heart for what breaks yours is one of the songs. That's what I've been praying about as, we're, uh, as I've been reading Nehemiah myself. Nehemiah's been, the book of Nehemiah has been really speaking to me over these uh, last few Um, weeks as we've been studying and preparing for this, and I hope it does that for you. Nehemiah, you see, was a wealthy, important man. He was something called the cupbearer to king, the big king, Artaxerxes. As we kicked off in chapter one a few weeks ago, um, he initially starts out in a place called Shush. Some of you who were here on the first week will get that. It says Susa in the Bible, but it's pronounced Shush, apparently. The Winter Palace of the Persian monarchs, the kings. He was, do- he was doing all right, was Nehemiah. He was very comfortable. Life didn't have to change. But suddenly, God broke Nehemiah's heart for the things that were breaking his heart. He moved him beyond the distractions of life that take us away from all that God calls us to. You know about that, don't you? I do. God's city, Jerusalem, Nehemiah, come to a desperate realization, was a wreck. The exiles who had returned back from Babylon after King Nebuchadnezzar's defeat were in a bad way. And worst of all, worst of all, God's name was being disgraced by his walls, by the city of God's walls being in ruin. And Nehemiah's heart was broken. Jubilee, at the beginning of a new year, We want to reset our hearts towards God, don't we? Don't we? And the second reason I think we're unpacking this book is to remind us of God's bigger mission. When we look at the book of Nehemiah, we don't just look at the story, but we actually look at this story as Sarush mentioned and Simon mentioned, uh, no, Sarush mentioned, um, um, in terms of the bigger prophetic picture of what this book means to us. Nehemiah understood the importance of building a city within a city. When I was doing my uh, diabetes um, clinic um, in Middlesbrough before I went down to two two days a week of general practice, um, 
I used to deliberately park at the top end of Linthorpe Road, right next to Dorman, the Dorman Museum, and walk down, my clinic was right at the bottom, and walk down through the different streets at 9, 9.30 in the morning, praying and sometimes weeping over the things that I would walk past and see. Asking Jesus to come and build his city, the church, within this desperate city. Bringing God's life into Middlesbrough and Teesside. Single moms sitting on the streets looking hopeless. Um, in the, um, two-year-old kids playing in the middle of the streets, playing football on their own. Drunks falling out of the door with kind of clotted blood on their head. These are the things that I would see. Homelessness, unemployment, poverty, her- heroin syringes in the, do- in the windowsill. God is calling the church, the city of God, you and me, living bricks, to rebuild what is broken, to restore what is ruined, and to renew what is lost. That's what Nehemiah is speaking about prophetically as we come into the New Testament and life with God now. That's the big idea of this very, very ancient story. That's what we're about, Jubilee. That's why it's important to us. What are you giving your life to? That's what I asked a few weeks ago. How much is God shaping your every day? That's what Nehemiah helps us to pray through. Remember what Tozer said? What did Tozer say? Can anybody remember? Oh, oh. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about... Well done, Val. Tosa said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing to us. Not match of the day. Or whatever Val was doing. (laughs) And so that's where we find Nehemiah in chapter 3. He's in Jerusalem and now the walls are going up. The building work, despite all the opposition and back chat, is getting underway. And after the res- all the researching, after the weeping, after the mourning, after the fasting, after the praying, these are good foundations before building. Now they are making things happen. James says, uh, faith without action is dead. So let's read this long list of names, and I mean it's long that Nehemiah has recorded in his heartfelt personal journal and uh, and a list of names that God has breathed breathed life into. Uh, By the way, as I do it, I'm going to read it very fast and very confidently, um, pronouncing all these uh, Jewish names as if I know what I'm doing. Um, But I just want to tell you I don't. So here goes. Hopefully you won't notice. Nehemiah 3, builders of the wall. Here we go. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priest. This is going to be difficult to follow. Eliashib, the high priest and his fellow priest, went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. That's where all the temple stuff and sacrifices would happen. They dedicated it and set its doors in the place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section and Zachor, son of Imri, built next to them. All these names. The fish gate was rebuilt by the son of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakkoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Heshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Barna, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but 
Their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Nehemiah ignored them. The Jeshunah the, the gate was repaired by Jediah, son of Pashia, and Meshulam, son of Besadiah. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Meronoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section adjoining, adjoining this. Jediah, son of Harumath, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabniah, made repairs next to him. Names are really important to God. You're getting the picture, aren't you? Malkijah, son of Harim. Hashub, son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section. And the Tower of, uh, and the tower of Ovens. Shalom, son of Halohesh a ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. And with the help of his daughters, the valley gate was repaired by Hanun and residents of Zenoa. They built, rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired thousand cubits of wall as far as the dung gate, and they thought, we're stopping there. The dung gate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab. He was a ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of Kol Jose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt its roofing. Uh, he rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the, woo, uh, the, the wall of the pool of Shalom and by the king's garden, the posh end of town, as far as the steps going down to the city of King David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, different Nehemiah, son of ha uh, Azbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzo, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and the house of heroes. Sounds like a Marvel movie. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Barney. Uh, beside him, Hashabbiah, um, ruler of the half-district of Keilah, uh, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their fellow Levites, Binu, uh, Binui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezra, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ancient to, to the ascent to the armory as far as the angle of the wall. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle of the to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakkoz, um, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house, who was a priest, to, uh, to end it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. A whole load of people getting involved. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to him, Azariah, son of Mashiach, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binu, son of Henadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Uzziah, um, uh, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the garden. It's all coming together. Next to him, Padiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants as well, living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to the point opposite the water gate uh, toward the east 
and projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekor repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. This was a big deal. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Imma, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelmia, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs. We're getting there. Um, opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkajar, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants. And the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, we're getting back to square one now, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Phew. Thank you for applauding my reading ability. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for those wonderful names recorded in biblical history. I thank you, Lord, that you know each of us by name. You know the detail that you've put in this, your, 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 your wonderful book, Speaking Life to Us. And I thank you, Lord, that you know each and everybody's name in this room, even if they don't know you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll pour out your spirit this morning as we unpack this wonderful, wonderful, rich piece of scripture declaring your goodness, your plans, your, um, your sovereignty and your love for the people, your church and the mission that you've called us for. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few things that I briefly want us to see from this passage. Many commentaries just leave it out. You can imagine why. But God has it there for us to read and say something to us about him, about his kingdom purpose, maybe something about us. And as, uh, and as Sarush has helped us put this sermon series together, he's specifically picked it out. Well done. I'm glad you didn't leave it out. So firstly... We see here in the, uh, in the building work that these guys had a common vision. They had a common vision. Despite all their many tasks, each of them is clear here about what their role is, what they are doing, what they are doing, if you like, in the bigger scheme of things. Yeah? As we read that, we saw this wall go from one end to the other. When you break it down here, you see we have 38 people with 42 working teams involving seven neighborhoods. This was a big task. God's, God's, God's task is usually a big task. This wasn't just a task for Nehemiah to do it on his own. No, he had to engage all these guys, families, groups, communities into one big plan, purpose. I loved how um, Sarush said the other day that broken cities were a sign of shame. We sometimes don't get that in our culture. This is how they would have seen it. God's name was being trampled on. His name was being dishonest. They were the people of God. They couldn't just sit there and let this horrific scene just go by. This was about Yahweh, their God, Jubilee. In everything you do, is that how you see things? Is that how you see things? Do you, do you get the concept of God's name as we, as we um, live out life? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he said this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory 
of God. I remember planning our wedding. Planning isn't a word that comes very naturally to me. Um, planning our wedding day nearly um, 40 Charlotte's by the way at her mum's house her mum's had an operation so she's looking after her uh, I remember planning our wedding day nearly 14, days, 14 years ago now and <laughs> that, might, that Jabber and Alice might be saying that not too long um, nearly 14 years ago and all the stuff that had to be done my goodness mind boggling invites, photos, videos venue booking, music, flowers, food honeymoon, guest accommodation more stuff, this, that um, you know Alice and Jabber I hope you're looking forward to all of this and on and on this list went sometimes it would get us down it would be overwhelming but I remember I remember as we came to that day on the 3rd of May 2003 in a little Baptist church in Nathalaton, standing at the front of the room, a bit like this, that face in that way, and kind of looking at a packed room. Um, um, And I remember thinking and thanking God for this moment. This moment. This was what all those days of, of toil and planning and pulling my hair out. I used to have hair then was about. It was, I saw the bigger picture, if you like. Sudden, and then suddenly the music kicked in and Charlotte, gleaming, beaming, shaking, smiling, walked down the aisle. Buongiorno, Principessa, was the music that she walked down to with her dad as she made her way to the front. And then we became the new Sahas. I remember that. I remember all that stuff we had to do. Jubilee, the Church of God is the bride of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us. God is bringing joy and celebration and hope and purpose and dancing and healing and beauty. We witnessed a bit of that this morning as we prayed and heard God. Do you see it? This is what we're about. This is what we're about. That's the big picture to which all the other stuff is leading to. Our Isaiah 61, for our mission, mandate or whatever you want to call it receiving glorifying worshiping jesus in spirit and truth that is the foundation and out of that reaching out to the lost and marginalized on teesside this nation and the nations inviting them to be our friends inviting them ultimately on a journey to alpha maybe restoring multiple restoring and multiplying joyful communities all around all around the area releasing everyone into this big big vision that god has called us to so that we all know what part we are playing what part are you playing bill hybel says this um, he says vision is a picture of the future that inspires passion A picture of the future that inspires passion. Let me ask you a question, Jubilee. What are you passionate about? I'm so looking forward to Don and Lisa Smith. They were with us last year coming and joining us uh, for a whole week of encouragement and provocation Don provokes. Um, uh, Again, at the end of March, he's coming to be with us. He's going to be there with us that uh, weekend as well. And and, and that's exactly the journey he wants to take us on. He feels God has spoken to him, and as we've talked about it as elders, that's the journey he wants to to take us on. What uh, uh, the passion for the church, what does it mean to be passionate about the church? What part are we going to play? I want to encourage you, Jubilee, to pray about the big picture. I want you to see how what you are doing 
is adding bricks to the wall. If you're not sure, ask us. Ask your community group. Ask God first. Are you bringing your kids up to love Jesus? There's a brick. Are you living a godly, joyful, single life, role modeling integrity and self-control? Another brick. Are you giving generously to the work of the church? Are you offering your time and energy to different projects and plans? Are you opening your home up to others? Are you welcoming new people? Are you showing kindness um, in your neighborhood or school or workplace or wherever it is that God's put you? Are you meeting friends with friends to pray? Are you regularly befriending those who don't know Jesus? These are the things that God has called us to individually, but together they are part of his bigger vision. Are you giving God the priority that God is calling you to? He has a great plan for the church. Recently, God has really been speaking to me about gates as I've been Googling various pictures on Nehemiah, watch, looking at some of these phenomenal gates around the wall. Fascinating. Um, here, you know, as we read this morning, we have lots of gates being restored. These were the points of the wall where people would come in, where those on the outside would see glimpses of the inside. Increasingly, I'm seeing our community groups and devoted groups um, um, and, and social action projects, if you like, as gates welcoming others in, seeing them as powerful vehicles, bringing people on a journey, making friends, ultimately and ultimately trying Alpha. That will look like different, your gates will look like different things in different settings. But the question I want to ask you, particularly if you lead a community group, or particularly if you lead a social action project or a reaching out project, I want to ask you a question. What do your gates look like? Are they open or are they closed? What is God saying? It might be a coffee at Costa, it might be barbecues, it might be helping hands, it might be games nights, it might be all sorts of different things. It might be volunteering an open door. What's the gate that opens up the way for others to come in? That's the question. Proverbs, um, Proverbs 29, 18 says this, Without vision, the people perish. And it's not just telling you about vision. It's living the vision out. Nehemiah, Nehemiah's people saw the big picture. You read that in the zeal of which it was written in, in, in Nehemiah's personal diary. This, this vision gave them a true sense of destiny. It brought them together. It channeled all their different gifts and personalities and energies and quirkiness. It helped them through change and transition and ups and downs and setbacks. God gave them a common vision. God has given us one too. Are you running with it? Pray about it. And pray it into action. The second thing I see here is leadership is crucial. Leadership is crucial. This wall was a massive building project. This wouldn't have worked if all those names were just Nehemiah did this, Nehemiah did that, Nehemiah did this, etc. 
No, Nehemiah understood the importance of a team uh, of workers. He understood, he understood of, of leaders. He understood the importance of having the right people doing the right task. He understood that God was raising and bringing together a people um, to do his will. And Nehemiah's job was to see that through. His name isn't even mentioned, if you've noticed. His name isn't even mentioned in this great list, but his fingerprints are all over it. Moving from 200 to 500 over the next 10 to 15 years is going to be a massive step of faith. It's going to require all of us to rise up and get beyond, I can't do this, we shouldn't do that. That will never work to... I'm, I'm, I'm to, to something different, to something different, a mindset that is different, a mindset that says, I'm looking to you, Lord Jesus, to pull us through. I'm asking you, Jesus, for faith to propel me into action. We will do this. That is the kind of faith that God delights in. And it's a gear change. Just the other day, we gathered our wider leadership a team to pray and encourage one another, community group leaders, department heads, influencers, prophetic guys, ministry team heads, our exploring leaders group there, an exciting bunch too, they were there. It was a great evening, very encouraging for us to see such faith in the room. Jubilee, you can thank God that you have godly, passionate leaders amongst you in this room. Keep praying for them. And one of the stories we talked about that evening was uh, about Caleb and how all the other uh, tribe, tribe leaders um, uh, of their day, they were the heroes of the day, when they went out to scout out the land of Canaan, that's what we talked about, all the others brought back a bad report. But Caleb was different, and we explored a little bit about that. Caleb was full of faith in God. Despite the hurdles, his report actually was a very good report. Numbers 14:7 says, "The land we walked through and scouted out is a very good land, very good indeed. Don't be afraid of those people. We'll have them for lunch." This must be the message version. They have no pers- they have no protection and God is on our side. That was his report. Jubilee God is calling Men, women, old, young people, different backgrounds, different languages, uh, countries, different countries, different abilities to be wholehearted for Jesus. We talked about that as well. Leaders not distracted by the pull of worldly desires or busyness, not drawn away by temptation and the passing pleasures of sin. We need to watch that always, never get complacent. Not lukewarm, but white hot for God. We can, we can all sit back and point out faults. I'm good at that. We can all sit back and point out faults and say what's wrong, this, this, this. That's easy. That's easy to do. But God is calling forth a different leader for this phase of the bus ride. He wants us to have eyes not just seeing what we see, but actually with eyes that God sees. He wants us to believe for more. I remember John Hosier, it really tugged at my heart. One of the things that John Hosier said to us about his 40 years of church leadership, he said he wished he could have believed for more. That's what he said. 40 years of doing amazing stuff in New Frontiers and continues to do so. You see, Jubilee, when God says something, 
He doesn't lie. I said this a few weeks ago. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 4.20 that Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, even when it looked impossible, but rather was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, glory to God again, foundational. And being fully persuaded, you heard that, fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Leaders, everyone, are you fully persuaded about the things of God in this church, your life, and the bigger picture? The bottom line that motivates us through everything is this, God doesn't lie. He says and brings into fruition, into action, what he says is true. The enemy will whisper lies and discouragement all the time, but God doesn't do that. He can't. His words come with a power that make things happen. He's a creator God. Will you believe him, Jubilee? Are you fully persuaded? I love that couple of words. Are you fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he has promised? So important. So important. Leaders like that help Jesus build his glorious church. Leaders like that create an environment, a soil of faith and growth. Leaders like that take you on a journey. Throughout Scripture, God celebrates and honors leaders like that. Will you, if you're a leader in this church, in a sense we're all leaders, but if you're a leader of, of, of one of those things that we talked about, will you be a leader like that? Finally, finally, God's wall needs all of us, the workers. After Nehemiah prays, he rallies his teams, doesn't he? And we heard that in Nehemiah 2 um, the other week and how they responded. As Nehemiah rallies them around, what do they, what do, they do? Nehemiah 2. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. When you go home, or maybe this week, look at those names. Just carefully look at those names. I've been praying over these names uh, for the past week. Last night my computer conked out and I was a little bit stressed out to say the least. But anyhow, over the week before I was praying over these names. All sorts of people, priests, rulers, families, daughters, sons, fathers, goldsmiths, Servants. There's even a guy from the Chanel perfume counter at Debenhams. They're all there. They're all doing their bit. Building God's city within a city. That's what we're called to do. Jubilee, no one is excluded. No one is excluded. Don't count yourself out. We need sheep gate builders. That's where the temple stuff would go on. We need people building next to the beautiful pool of Shiloam near the king's garden. But we also need dung gate builders. Hands up. I don't need to tell you what goes on near the dung gate. These are the jobs that no one wants. All the roles might not be glamorous that God calls us to, but what we are building together is glamorous, is beautiful in God's eyes. Right now we need, and Simon will tell you this, right now we need 20 to 30 names of people to help Simon and others set up here on a Sunday. 
on a four-weekly rota. He has all the details. I just felt I need to speak this to you this morning. Yeah? Without those names, those names, this won't happen. Yeah? I'm going to ask you a question today in faith. Will you give Simon your name to commit every few weeks to help this happen? Okay? I want to really encourage you to do that. I have 20 names this morning. I'm going to believe God for 20 names this morning. Simon has got another list now. Um, this is serious commitment to building one of our walls. Do you believe we're in this together, all for one and one for all? If you don't think you're up to it, you probably are. That's probably the right um, job description or character description. 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, doesn't it? Doesn't, uh, doesn't he, the Apostle Paul? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are even worse than all of that, the are-nots, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in him. You know what? I thank God for that verse all the time. Nev um, was crying in joy about the essence of this work um, with me just a few weeks ago. I don't know how you respond to talks like this, these rallying talks like Nehemiah did in uh, chapter 2. I don't know how you respond to them, but I tell you what this isn't about, because this is really important. I, we, are not trying to guilt you into doing stuff. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus is about. That's actually what people call religion. A list of do-its. Paul mentioned it. Paul Cattrall mentioned it earlier. Rules and recommendations and uh, a whole load of lists of this, this, that and the other. No, the gospel jubilee is totally different. This is what Ephesians 2.8 as we, Ephesians 2.8 says as we finish. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Let that sink in. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift, a beautifully wrapped present from God. Not by work so that no one can boast. And then hear this. Out of that comes, for we are God's workmanship, his work of art created in Jesus Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're going to be breaking bread in a minute. If the band could come up, that would be helpful as well. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It was all Jesus' work. And now through the power of his Spirit working on us, he's working in us, he's working, he's working through us, Jubilee, things change. We're called to action. That's the deal. Our involvement in everything that he has prepared in advance for us to do is a gift, a joy, knowing that we are his work of art. He delights in you. How much? He delights in you. How much does he delight in you? Oh, 
can't see the picture. Oh, have we, got, have we not got a PowerPoint? Oh, sorry. Well, the, 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 the picture of Jesus on the cross. He delights in you. How much? That much. That much that he'd give his life to you. Jubilee, that's the foundation and confidence and security and joy and assurance in all we do for Jesus. He loves us. The cross tells us that. He's for us. He's chosen us. Why would you want to give? Why wouldn't you want to give your all to that? To this one who did so much for you. It's a no-brainer. Let's stand. We're going to break bread. We're going to break bread now. And that is the foundation on which we work for God, if you like. That is the foundation that where, where we find meaning and purpose. Some of you are going to be doing Alpha tonight. This is the purpose. This is the foundation of everything we do. And so we're going to worship and then we're going to go and get the bread and the grape juice. And we're going to celebrate the foundation for it is by grace that you have been set free to do all that God has called you. As we eat this meal together and celebrate and worship together, we remember that we are children of God bought at a great price. That He is the one who has done the work. It is finished, but not for us. That is the starting point of all we do. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we worship now, as we break bread together, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll be with us in this meal. That this isn't just some symbolic go-through-the-motions event, but actually you are with us by your Spirit, reminding us of your great sacrifice and your great love for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.